This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of the Middle East Report studio in Washington, D.C., a.k.a. Pistown. Check out our website, districtsentinel.com. Well, it looks like it's going to happen this week. We've, uh, we've been preparing for this moment for the last couple months by repeatedly throwing Joe Biden in the garbage can. Undeterred, though. Joe Biden is going to announce that he's going to run for president this week. I'm honestly not too concerned by him. I would be, I will be, excuse me, I will be concerned by him if he doesn't drop out by October. Because okay. <laughs> I think with, with Biden, it's either going to go completely terribly and he's not going to last until Iowa or New Hampshire, or... He's going to do okay. He's going to win the Democratic primary, and then he's going to lose to Trump. (laughs) Well, as I said a while back on the show, the main threat I perceive to Bernie is Kamala Harris. I think when it's all said and done, the the Clinton support will uh, get behind her. And if you look at some of the um, numbers on where the big donors are putting their money, she's leading the way. But now this is before Biden has jumped in. I'm sure Biden is going to get a lot of these big donors uh, now that's going to be where, um, where I guess, uh, where's it like in, I guess, in, I guess Connecticut is the state where all the, uh, credit card companies went to and everything, but Delaware, Biden, they're Delaware yeah, where De- Biden is from. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's <laughs> Delaware. I get them mixed up. Yeah. There are a lot Biden's of Biden's whole in, career yeah. has, has, uh, uh, done work for these companies. So, uh, they will be there to donate to his campaign, but in the same way that 2016, and I know Clinton won the primary, but she lost in the general election. And out of 2016, we pretty much learned the lesson that Clintonism is dead. I think we will learn the lesson rather quickly that Bidenism is dead. Hopefully it won't take until after he wins the primary and then loses to Trump. But uh, I think it'll happen the sooner. I'm not sure he's going to get out before October. I'm sure he's going to stick around. But if he's not winning any of the early states, and I think Bernie's going to probably sweep Iowa and New Hampshire, I'm not sure where Biden fits in this picture. It would be awful if uh, Biden didn't do much but stuck around as part of some plot to rat fuck Bernie to take his uh, 10% of of the vote and throw it throw his weight behind uh, Kamala Harris or wh- And he could do that. I mean if you look at a lot of the the polling on who's their second favorite choice, Bernie and Biden work with each other, which is That's weird. That's very weird. Yeah. But a lot of uh, a lot of Bernie's second people who support Bernie, their second favorite choice is Biden and Biden's second favorite choice is Bernie. Um, I saw reporting. I don't know if it's still true that Biden was thinking of launching his campaign in Charlottesville. And if that is true, that's appalling. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that summarizes how tasteless uh, Biden is. How, how is it going to look for a guy who ha- who has defended segregation on his record to go to Charlottesville? Is he going to Charlottesville to support the Confederate statues? He's <laughs> coming here to uh, reiterate uh, my opposition to busing. All right. Um, staying on the Dem primary here, Elizabeth Warren has a new proposal out. Uh, massive student loan forgiveness plan forgives $50,000 in student debt 
for American households earning less than $100,000 a year. That would, according to uh, an analysis from the campaign, it would immediately provide relief to more than 95% of the 45 million Americans with student debt. Her plan also calls for free tuition at two-year, four-year colleges. Um, Sanders uh, gave the free two-year, four-year plan back in 2016 when people thought it was completely fucking crazy. Um, Now we have other candidates running. Warren's proposal on debt relief, though, pretty good. Uh, not not the biggest fan of means testing around here, and we should focus this more on like a universal rights issue. But uh, it's a good start. It's a very good start. It's a very good start. Also, in news, Herman Cain. We hardly knew ye. He is out at the Fed. Nine nine nine. He has withdrawn from the nomination process, rather than go through the process only to be rejected by the Senate, which looks like it was going to happen. Still no word on whether or not Stephen Moore is pulling Uh out. Although, uh, Andrew Kaczynski, who's from, he used to be Buzzfeed Andrew. I think he's now CNN Andrew. (laughs) He dug up K file K file. Yeah. K file dug up some old Stephen Moore musings about how, uh, women shouldn't be allowed to play sports with men. So yeah. that is, in addition to being a hack on economics, he also uh, had, had, some, had some pretty bad takes. And uh, so we'll keep an eye on more. Yes, we will. But we can't keep an eye on Herman anymore. He's out. I'm sure he'll make his way into the news again some, sometime in the future. Going to get to the cast here in just a second. Uh, we were talking on last week's show about the New York Times profile on Nira Tandon uh, and how New York Times changed their policies and we couldn't access a lot of these articles. So I just want to give a shout out to uh, Brian on Patreon who messaged us uh, and has shared their access with us, the Sentinel Boys. So now we have access to the Times. Thank you, Brian, for making that happen. Loyal listener, Patreon subscriber. Also, uh, thanks to uh, Neo Tenny on Twitter. Neo had reached out to me on Twitter about giving us access to the Near article uh, in case we hadn't seen it, but we had seen it by then. So, uh, hey, thank you to both of you. Thank you very much. Although now I have no excuse ever to not read a Brett Stevens column. We so. will still not be reading them. <laughs> It's Monday, April 22nd, 2019. Here's the news. The Supreme Court today announced that it will hear three cases in a move set to impact LGBTQ people. First, justices granted cert in Bostock v. Clayton County, consolidating it with a similar case, Altitude Express v. Zarda. Both matters involve whether sexual orientation is protected in the workplace by Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Secondly, justices also said they would hear another case on whether transgender people are protected by the same part of the same law. That case is called RG and GR Harris Funeral Homes, Inc. versus the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. At the appellate level, the court found in favor of the fired transgender woman, Amy Stevens. Appellate judges also found in favor of both Azarda and Bostock, the employees who claimed discrimination based on sexual orientation because they were gay. Which was the uh, employee who worked at the skydiving company. That was Zarda. And there's actually 
a bit of a tragic case in the Zarda case because Zarda passed away in a base jumping incident. Yikes. So Zarda is now represented by his estate. So mm. Zarda is actually will not live to see the outcome of the case. Uh, I guess at least they, he died base jumping, doing what he loved. <laughs> <laughs> well, fucked up, I guess, for me to say. I don't know. Actually, he loved skydiving. <laughs> True. But True. Yeah, same thing. Well, so, thrill, <laughs> thrilling. Same thrilling thing. So anyway, Zarda and Bostock, they won at the appellate level. Uh, so did Amy Stevens. So this reopening of the cases, these re-examining of the cases uh, by a conservative court. Not good. Not good. It's put a lot of people on edge uh, with the thought of the scope of civil rights law being narrowed uh, to discriminate against gay, lesbian, trans, and gender nonconforming people. In fact, the Trump administration has already argued this, that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act should not apply to gay and trans people. And it's very likely that Trump's two SCOTUS appointees, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, feel the same way. If the court does end up maintaining strong anti-discrimination laws, it would probably be because of institutionalist John Roberts. The Bush appointee has been known to side with liberal justices from time to time to bolster the image of the court outside of the conservative fake radio sphere. Going to have to uh, get in touch with whoever the schedule maker is of... Uh girls prep basketball leagues <laughs> try to make sure Kavanaugh try to make sure a game is scheduled during oral arguments or something because Kavanaugh can't miss those games he's, he's we gotta he's gotta be at the game make sure to he's, coach. he's got a tournament that day yeah might be our only hope here in other news about the court today justices also heard a case that could hurt transparency the matter involves the freedom of information act and exemptions for info provided by businesses to the government for decades, courts have said info related to private businesses can only be exempt from FOIA if releases cause, quote, substantial competitive harm. According to Politico, three conservative justices were critical of the precedent, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Samuel Alito. Also, two liberals appeared sympathetic to this line of thinking, this pro-opacity line of thinking, Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyer. Looks like corporate secrecy is headed for a win here. Finally, a victory for the underdogs. <laughs> Stephen Breyer is just possibly nervous that one day his family ice cream recipe will get foiled. <laughs> Moving on a week after. Are, is it really the same Breyer family? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to look it up right now, though. Okay, good. A week after President Trump vetoed a first-of-its-kind war powers resolution calling for an end to U.S. involvement in the war in Yemen, Senator Bernie Sanders, who introduced the resolution, is trying to organize a veto override vote. In a letter to colleagues, Sanders stressed that the issue now goes beyond whether or not lawmakers approve of U.S. actions in Yemen. It's a constitutional issue now, and overriding the president's veto is necessary for Congress to reassert its authorities in the issue of war making. Quote, at the end of the day, let us agree that it is imperative that Congress reaffirm the power given to us by the Constitution over matters of war, one of the most serious duties we have as members of Congress. That's what Sanders wrote in his letter. Last month, the Senate voted 54 to 46 to pass Sanders' War Powers Resolution. It marked the first time Congress has formally rebuked an undeclared war since the War Powers Act was passed back in 1973. Shortly after, a companion resolution introduced by Congressman Ro Khanna passed the House 247 
to 175. Neither chamber had enough votes, two-thirds, to override a veto. Any override action would have to originate in the Senate. The Hill reported last week that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had not given any guidance on on any possible veto override vote in the chamber. McConnell initially voted against the War Powers Resolution. I don't think I'm going to be able to find the answer about Stephen Breyer. So we haven't found evidence to immediately (laughs) reject your initial claim yet. Well, it's not on his Wikipedia page, so that makes me believe uh, he is not related to the Breyer ice cream empire. But maybe he is, and it just hasn't made the Wikipedia page yet. But it's not on the Breyer's Wikipedia page either. I, I, I do more research than just Wikipedia normally, but anyway, I think we've spent enough time on this. President Trump is trying to resist efforts by House Democrats to subpoena his personal records. Today, lawyers for the president sued to prevent the Dems from obtaining info held by an accounting firm called Mazars USA. The order was issued by the House Oversight Committee after former Trump fixer Michael Cohen testified, alleging widespread fraud by President Trump's personal businesses before he won the 2016 election. According to The Hill, the president's lawyers are claiming that the committee's subpoena is an abuse of power, quote, instead of working with the president to pass bipartisan legislation that would actually benefit Americans, House Democrats are singularly obsessed with finding something they can use to damage the president politically. That doesn't sound very legally. That doesn't sound... It sounds like Trump wrote that brief himself. (laughs) Like, there's nothing in the Constitution that says Congress has to pass bipartisan legislation that would actually benefit Americans. Yeah. Anyway, in response, uh, committee chair Elijah Cummings told The Hill that Trump is... Uh, Trump is the one who's trying to abuse power here with the lawsuit. And, well, it actually... It's not just... Uh, uh, an abuse of presidential power because Trump has basically been doing this for decades, intimidating his adversaries uh, by using the legal system. Cummings said, quote, the complaint reads more like political talking points than a reasoned legal brief, and it contains a litany of inaccurate information. So maybe Trump did write it. (laughs) I uh, have tried to do a little research here on Breyer while you were... (laughs) And you're right, it's not definitive off the bat. I'm surprised no one has wrote the definitive article for when people Google this that just says, this is not the same Breyer. Yeah. I did uh, come across an obituary from Henry Breyer Jr., ex-head of uh, Breyer's... (laughs) Uh, he, this is from 1972. Yeah. Uh, it said that, uh, the company was founded by his father. Uh, Mr. Breyer had been director since 1934, surviving are his widow, the former Margaret McKee and a son, Henry, uh, W uh, of New York. So, uh, no Stephen here. So Stephen's father was Irving Gerald Breyer. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it's the same. Maybe maybe they're cousins or something, though, so we won't completely rule it out being the same family. Uh, call the rant line, 202-684-6108, if you have an answer for us. Finally, today, a Government Accountability Office report released last Friday examines the schism between federal agencies and Native American tribes over the construction of infrastructure projects like new pipelines. As required by law, agencies must consult with Native communities before approving any new projects that could affect natural and cultural resources. 
As we've seen in recent years, particularly at places like Standing Rock, Native communities have not been respected during the government's approval and licensing licensing processes. GAO interviewed entities on both sides as to why that is, and the answers here are pretty telling. I'm just going to read from the GAO report, quote, some of the key factors identified by tribes included one agencies initiating consultation late in project development stages, as in once it's too late to actually stop the project Uh, agencies, not adequately considering tribal input when making decisions about proposed infrastructure projects, as in just not giving a shit about what the tribe's concerns are. And three, agencies not respecting tribal sovereignty or the government-to-government relationship between federally recognized tribes and the federal government, as in the government simply not respecting tribal authorities. So that's what GAO found when they interviewed uh, tribal interests on this issue. When the GAO interviewed officials at government agencies about the disconnect, the answers pretty much confirmed the concerns from tribal communities. Challenges in obtaining and maintaining accurate contact information for tribes, which is needed to notify tribes or consultation opportunities, as in the government just not giving enough of a shit to look someone up in this case. Agency resource constraints to effectively support consultation, as in this just isn't a high priority for us. And difficulty coordinating with other federal agencies when there are multiple agencies involved in particular infrastructure projects, as in we thought this was someone else's job. So nothing here points to any fault in native communities. It's all government agencies not having their shit together or simply just not caring. GAO made a number of recommendations to more than a dozen agencies to beef up their outreach policies. It also called for the creation of a centralized database to better facilitate communication, though I'm not sure any of that gets to the underlying problem, which is the fact that we haven't respected Native communities since the nation's existence and long before that. Yeah, the government seems all too happy to... Uh, uh, uphold tribal sovereignty when it comes time to to build a casino on a reservation, but when when it comes time to build a pipeline, not so much. Not so much. That'll do it for the newscast today. If you want a regular edition of this show Monday through Thursday, subscribe at patreon.com slash district sentinel. Help support a little news co-op here in D.C. Thanks to our sponsors, the Congressional Dish podcast hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com. Another sponsor, the Middle East Report. Find it at merip.org. Newscast is back tomorrow. We're here in D.C. so you don't have to be.